What is the world going to be like right before the rapture? What is the great falling away in 2 Thessalonians 2? And how do you make two-step pasta? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Cross-References podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, I'm a minister, and I don't know how to cook. And you'll find out how true that is today. But I'm going to start with a story. There was a man that they called Old Harry. He lived in the Pacific Northwest. He was often told that he needed to move because he lived at the bottom of a mountain known as Mount St. Helens. Now, he had lived there for his whole life. He would live there stocked up with food. He had 16 cats and even more bottles of whiskey. They kept coming to him and warning him, there's a lot of red flags. There's a lot of signs that this is a volcano and it is going to erupt someday soon. He told them it was all nonsense. He said, I've lived here in these woods at the bottom of this mountain my entire life, decades, and it's never erupted before. And I don't see any reason that it would erupt now. In March of 1980, a 4.1 magnitude earthquake rippled through Washington state. The forest rangers came to Harry's house again. They pleaded with old Harry. They said, you must move. There's a high likelihood that an eruption is near. Harry looked around. He said, look at how calm everything is. Are you trying to tell me that there's really an eruption right around the corner? He even said, and this is a quote, he said, nobody knows more about this mountain than Harry, and it don't dare blow up on him. Well, days and weeks passed, and it looked like perhaps the geologists were wrong, and that Harry was right. Everything seemed peaceful and safe. The sheriff made one last plea to Harry, but Harry told him, I'm living my life alone, I'm king of all I survey. I've got plenty of whiskey, I've got food for 15 years, and I'm sitting high on the hog. But then, May 18, 1980, the mountain that Harry lived on exploded. It was said to have exploded with a blast that was several times the force of a nuclear bomb. Old Harry was never seen again, and neither were his 16 cats. He didn't heed the warning. He refused to listen to the truth. Today, I'd like to share some truth and a warning, and it slots in perfectly right here with what I've been discussing lately in our Ezekiel studies. I want to talk about what needs to happen before the rapture, because the rapture is actually the next event on God's prophetic calendar. God has a timeline of how things are going to play out in the end times. And this has already been foretold. It's already been prophesied. It's already, as far as God's concerned, it's already happened because he's eternal. It hasn't happened for us yet. We're moving along at the speed of time, watching as events unfold, watching as we get closer and closer to the end. And God has a timeline of events that are going to take place as we head into what are called the end times. We know that an Antichrist is coming. We know there's going to be a seven-year tribulation that that culminates with the return of Jesus Christ himself. But before all that, right before all that, I would say, there's going to be a rapture of the church. The church will be taken out of this world. And the rapture is the next event 
on God's prophetic calendar. So what I want to talk about today is not actually the rapture itself. I want to talk about right before the rapture, what the world is going to be like right before the rapture, what's going to be going on in the world right before the rapture happens. And there's two letters that Paul wrote that actually deal extensively with the issues of the end times and, and deal with this subject, First and Second Thessalonians. The church at Thessalonica, they were a little bit skittish about all this rapture stuff and tribulation stuff that they heard was coming. You know, if you're listening, maybe you've been skittish about those things before, especially as a child. Um, we've, we've always heard warnings that it's going to be close. It's going to be soon. You know, it's right around the corner. It could be today. And, and that's true. It could be today. <laughs> they've got us, sometimes they've got us a little bit on edge, right? Uh, maybe you've heard it said before, and, and I haven't heard this, but I've, I've known lots of people who said they heard it in church growing up. They would hear, don't go to a movie theater because if Jesus comes back and you're sitting in a movie theater, he won't take you. <laughs> you know? It was just this idea that some some irresponsible Christians used to throw out that you know movies were this sinful, terrible thing that if you went to a movie and Jesus came back, you're out of luck. <laughs> I even remember I went to see some of those those Hobbit movies years ago. Those movies are like three hours long. And I and I remember I was really taking my chances with those. I was like, okay, I want to be in this theater for a while. But thankfully the rapture didn't happen. Anyway, anyway. The situation of Second Thessalonians, the book I want to read from today, is that at this point the, the Thessalonians were looking around at society. And they're like, man, it just seems like society is falling apart. You know, there's so much injustice everywhere. Things are just crumbling. And they're saying, did we maybe miss the rapture? Like, could we be in the tribulation already? <laughs> you know, it, it sounds a lot like today that we look around. It seems like we see signs of society crumbling. We're like, how much longer could it go on like this? And, and so Paul writes them back and he says, hey, guys, don't worry. You're not in the tribulation yet. Because there's actually still a few things that need to happen before the tribulation begins. And so he wrote them this letter. You know, imagine if they had only known the rapture was still going to be at least 2,000 years away. <laughs> then they, they might have settled down a little bit. But um, it's still true for us. The rapture could be at any moment. You know, we kind of see the signs of the times. Uh, we live in a time of the signs. And so we could wonder... Uh, maybe not that the rapture's already happened, because we hopefully know if if we're still here that it hasn't. We could just wonder, like, it, how much longer could things go on? Just like the Thessalonians were asking themselves. And so Paul says, listen, here's what you need to see in society when the rapture is about to take place. So we'll start here at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, and so he begins. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ— and are gathering together to him, which is talking about the rapture right there. Okay, that's the gathering to Jesus. All right. The gathering is the rapture. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord had come. So Paul's, let me just interject here what he's saying. He's saying, don't get it in your head that the rapture or the tribulation has already started. Don't get that in your head. Um, because he's going to say here in verse 3, there's still a couple things that need to happen before the tribulation kicks off. So he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. 
and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So it says two things will need to happen right before the rapture or the tribulation, okay? And the second one there gets me a little excited. You know, it's talking about the man of sin or the son of perdition. I, I guess not excited might not be the best word. Interested, okay? We always love hearing a sermon on the Antichrist, even though we don't plan to be here for his <laughs> for his crowning, but we're always interested to know who's the Antichrist. Well, you know, who could, could so-and-so be the Antichrist? And so it talks right there. It refers to him. He's the son of perdition or the man of sin. He's the first judgment upon the world in the book of Revelation. He comes on the scene and creates a covenant among many nations, and that covenant kicks off the seven years of tribulation, which are essentially the last seven years of planet Earth as we know it. Those last seven years are humanity's last chance to get saved, to get right with God. And it technically says here that the Antichrist will be revealed as a last step before the tribulation, because basically once he's revealed, that kicks off the tribulation. So based on this verse, it basically makes the rapture and the revealing of the Antichrist become events that are almost simultaneous. They, you know, they could be days apart. They could be hours apart, you know, for all we know. We don't know exactly when the rapture will happen, but we know it's going to be right there about the time that the Antichrist is revealed, and that kicks off the seven-year tribulation. So, it is possible, I guess technically it is possible, that we could see whoever the Antichrist is basically take control, but that would be like right as the rapture happens. You know, his covenant with many nations, that could be the kickoff of the seven-year tribulation. Or it could be that in the days after the rapture, you know, and the world is in chaos and disarray, that's when he takes control. You know, it could it could be something like that. But it's possible we could even see him come into power, but that would be basically, based on Paul's words here, the moment of the rapture then would be right as he takes control. They're basically simultaneous events. Could be that you're watching it happen on CNN, and then just the next second, you're up in heaven. I don't know if you actually would see it on CNN, because CNN only shows fake news, but, but you get my point. <laughs> and actually, I say all that, I'm not talking about the Antichrist today. I want to talk about the other part. Let me read the verse again. Now I've gotten so far away from it. Let me read the verse again, but I don't want to focus on the man of sin part. Let's talk about what it says right before that. He said in verse three, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So that day, the the returning of Jesus and the tribulation, the day of the Lord, that's not going to come until the falling away comes first. The gathering together with Jesus, the rapture, will not happen unless the coming away, or sorry, the falling away, unless the falling away comes first. So what is the falling away? Well, that could have two different meanings. One, one translation or one interpretation of the falling away is, is kind of positive, and there's another interpretation that's pretty negative. So some think that when it talks about the falling away, that it could be referring to the rapture, that that is a reference to the rapture itself. There are others who see the falling away as a great apostasy, okay? A great falling away from God, falling away from the church, falling away from salvation, people knowing the truth and departing from the truth, departing from the faith, turning against God. So there's a lot of controversy out there 
about what this phrase, the falling away, means. It, you know, it's a, it's a phrase, and I'm going to tell you what I think it means. I, so I don't, I'm not confused about it. But there's some confusion out there. You know, some some phrases can be a little vague to some people. Have two different meanings. Um, I remember one time, the you know, I was walking into church and and I see the pastor of the church, and he walks up. He says, "How are you doing today, Luke Taylor?" And I remember, you know, so basically when someone asks me how I'm doing, I just always have a generic answer for that. I always say I'm doing great. I say I'm doing great because most people will just say good. But I'm always just, you know, I'm just kind of a positive, upbeat person a lot of the time. I try to be like optimistic. And so I like to just go take it a step further. I like to say I'm doing great. But this time I kind of thought, well, I say great so often, maybe... Maybe I need to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> you know, maybe I get a little bit too overexcited at that little question of how are you doing today? I thought I'm just going to tone it down. I'm just going to say I'm doing well. However, at the moment my brain thought this, I'd already started to say great. And then I changed it. So what came out of my mouth was I am doing grill. Do you see how much I overthought this stupid little question of how are you doing today? <laughs> and then what comes out of my mouth? I say I'm doing grill. Uh, it's pretty sad. <laughs> I remember the pastor just kind of looked at me confused for a minute and then just kind of walked away. And now it's become kind of a joke with me and my wife. I'll, you know, I'd come home for lunch halfway through the day and I'd she'd say, how's today going? And I'd say, oh, it's going grill. <laughs> it just means halfway between great and well, I guess. Anyway, uh, don't ask me how I'm doing, okay? Because you just don't know what I'm going to say. And I, I apparently I don't know either. I have another story. Here's a better illustration of that. Um, what of this idea of like a phrase having two meanings or something like that? Well, one time, I actually remember a few years back, uh, the the deacons. Um, there was only like one deacon who had showed up to church that day, and so that at our church, the deacons had the job of after the offering, they go back and they count the offering. And there's actually like rules um, with our church, our denomination, good rules that that. You need to have a certain amount of people in the I don't remember if it's two, three, four, or whatever, but you need to have a certain amount of people in the room as they're counting the money. And that just protects everyone so that no one can say, you know, some of the money went missing or something like that. You always have like multiple eyes on the money to keep everybody accountable and and so you can defend yourselves. So anyway, um, I, there was only like one deacon who showed up that day for church. So they asked me, um, I was the youth pastor, but they asked me if I could go in and help count the money just to have like another pair of eyes on it. And so anyway, we went in there and, um, and so therefore I was late to lunch that day because it was like, they we were having a lunch at the church, but I was late to the lunch cause I was helping count the money. So on my way back afterwards, I'm walking down to the lunch and I'm thinking, you know, they're going to ask why I'm late. Why, you know, I didn't get to my seat at the table right after church. And so I, I thought, well, it's cause the deacons were understaffed that day. And then I thought, well, I don't think understaffed is the best word because they're not employees. So I'll say that they were shorthanded. So that's kind of what's rolling around in my head, understaffed, shorthanded. I go to sit down and they ask why I'm late to lunch. And I said, oh, I was helping the deacons count the money because they're underhanded. And then everyone kind of stares at me for a second. I'm like, oh, wait, not underhanded. They were shorthanded. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I called our deacons underhanded, which has its own meaning. Let me get back onto the point now of what I was talking about today. So sometimes a phrase can be a little bit vague and we can get our words confused. And there's a lot of confusion about what this phrase means. 
in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's talking about the falling away, which happens right before the tribulation. So this could have two different meanings. Is it a positive meaning or is it a negative meaning? Okay. It's probably either talking about the rapture itself, which would be a good thing, or it's talking about a falling away, a departure from the faith, and that would be a bad thing. The idea that this is the rapture comes about because this word could be translated as the departure, and that it's talking about the departure of saints from this earth, aka the rapture of the church. So many people want to make this departure here, talk about the rapture, because then it would very easily right here place the rapture before the tribulation, which would all make sense on the timeline. And I do believe in a rapture before the tribulation, but I don't think that's what this word right here is referring to. I don't think it's talking about a, our departure right here in this verse when it talks about the falling away. The rapture is talked about in verse 1, but if we do a word study, I think we actually see that this word for falling away is talking about something quite negative. This phrase for the falling away, it's a Greek word that is apostasia. And apostasia is a pretty bad thing. It can also be translated as a rebellion, you know, or as I said, a departure. But I think it's more of a negative type of departure. Um, because other places where apostasia is used, it refers to rebellion against God. And, and if you're someone who's really into like word studies and stuff like that, which I'm all about words, I, I probably over-focus on words, but if, if you dig down into what apostasia means, it is an active verb, meaning it's something that the subject is initiating. Which means it probably wouldn't apply to the rapture, because that's not something that we actively do. You know, we do not initiate the rapture. If we could activate the rapture, we probably would have done it by now. But we can't do that. We are passive participants in the rapture. As it said in verse 1, we're gathered up to the Lord. We don't gather ourselves. The Lord gathers us up. And so apostasia is, is not like that. It's an active verb. It means it's something that the subject does. Which means I take this word to mean the negative sense. In other words, not grill. <laughs> it's a negative thing. I believe, and, and most Bible commentaries would agree too, I believe this is saying that right before the Lord comes back, there's going to be a mass apostasy. So let's talk about what apostasy is. Apostasy means to have faith or knowledge of the truth and then to turn away from it. So if you're somebody who departs from the faith, that's called being an apostate. So what does that mean to be an apostate? So that means at one time, you considered yourself a Christian, but eventually you leave it behind. And it could be for any number of reasons. Perhaps you rebel against God's commands. Perhaps you rebel against the Lordship of Jesus. Maybe you just decide, you know, I think there's actually lots of ways to find God. And so basically that means you reject Christianity as truth. Maybe you try Christianity for a little while, and then you decide it's not for you and you just turn away from it totally. All of those would be examples of what apostasy is. And what I see the Bible telling us right here is that right before the rapture, there's going to be a mass departure of Christians from the traditional faith. And I think we're already seeing it happen right before our eyes. So I have three points today on, on this lesson. And here's the first point. Apostasy means rebellion. 
That's point one today. Apostasy means rebellion. You become an apostate whenever you rebel against God. It's whenever you have an attitude of defiance against God or against what the Bible says. And, and you know, if, if you remember from last time on the, on the podcast here, it's not that there's some specific sin that just causes you to lose your salvation. Apostasy is whenever your heart has turned away from God. I'm going to throw some statistics at you right now. Lifeway did a research project, and they found that 66% of people who are aged 18 to 22 are going to drop out of church. So that, that means more than half. They say about 7 out of 10 kids who are in a youth group today are not going to be in church five years from now. So the, the vast majority, easily. They also did a survey of Americans in general. They found that 52% of Americans no longer believe that Jesus was God. They say he was just a good teacher. That's what the majority of Americans would say nowadays. Jesus was not God. He was just a good teacher. 30% of quote-unquote evangelical Christians, 30% said the same thing. Barna, and, and by the way, when I hear the phrase evangelical Christians, I'll mention this probably later. I don't even know what evangelical Christians means. That's like a very, I, again, I'm, a, I'm kind of about words. I like to know what, what words mean, uh, what words mean to people. And so evangelical Christian, that's a, that's a word that, I mean, I would say I'm evangelical because I try to evangelize. So that's what evangelical means to me. But s- some people use it as a political term. It, to me, it's just vague. It just matters who's saying it, what the word means to them. Barna did a research poll. Um, they found that more than 50% of people who call themselves evangelical Christians don't believe that there is a Satan or a Holy Spirit. So again, if most people who call themselves evangelical Christians don't believe in Satan or Holy Spirit, I'm like, I don't even know what evangelical Christian is supposed to mean at that point. <laughs> you know, if you don't think Jesus was God, if you don't think, if you think he was just a good teacher, I, you're not any kind of Christian, evangelical or otherwise. But anyway, there's some horrific statistics of, like I said before, of how many kids drop out of church after they get out of youth group, you know, and they get out into the world, how many of them fall away. Um, but we're not just seeing apostasy in the younger generations. We're seeing historical Christian institutions, denominations that have been around for, for many, many years, over a hundred years. We're seeing them embrace the spirit of the modern age and reject the authority of the word of God. Uh, I'm, I mean, entire denominations falling away and committing apostasy. Uh, there is a I don't, I don't care much for this Christian publication, website, whatever you want to call it. There's this one called Relevant Magazine. Um, it's called a magazine, but I guess you probably just, most people just probably read it online nowadays. But the, <laughs> they, they picked the perfect name, I'll say that. You know, they call themselves a Christian publication. They're called Relevant, and uh, they basically they want to be more relevant to modern culture than they do the Bible, as evidenced by this, by this headline from Relevant Magazine. It says... Have we made the Bible into an idol? That's a that's a headline from Relevant Magazine. Have we made the Bible into an idol? This is an accusation I see from people a lot. When you follow the Bible, in their opinion, too much, when you're too dedicated to the Word of God, they will accuse you sometimes of making the Bible into an idol. I don't, by the way, I don't think you're going to get to heaven and stand before Jesus 
and have him come down on you for being too dedicated to the word of God, because <laughs> that's how he talks to you. So um, anyway, that's that's Relevant Magazine. That is modern Christianity for you, though, in a nutshell. Have we made the Bible into an idol? What about this one? The Episcopal Church. This is a couple years ago now. This is like a year and a half ago. But the Episcopal Church put in their first transgender bishop. The Episcopal Church has, I don't know what you call it, inaugurated or whatever. I don't know. They've put in their first transgender bishop. It's a female who believes herself to be a male. Uh, you sometimes hear about the rise of something called Chrislam. It's this mixing of Christianity and Islam and, and people who want to say, yeah, we just all worship the same God. And they call it Chrislam. Um, they, they push it as, you know, this is, a, this is the spirit of the age that we, need to, that we need to unite all the religions. Universalism. And then here's, a, here's another headline from another. This is, from, this is reported in ChristianHeadlines.com, the headline from them. Almost 70% of born-again Christians say Jesus Christ isn't the only way to God. They say 70% of born-again Christians, which I'm like, I mean, I, I guess God's the judge of who's born again, but if <laughs> I'd say most of these people are not born again if they don't think that Jesus is the only way to God, because that means you think Jesus was lying to us in John 14 when he said, I am the way. Or, you know, in the apostles and Acts, they said there's no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. Well, they must have been lying if, if Jesus is not the only way. So you say to me, well, wait a minute. I thought apostates were people who rejected Christianity. But a lot of these people still call themselves Christians. So why would you label them apostates? Well, listen, people might keep the label of Christian, but if they're going to reject the lordship of Jesus, if they're going to reject the authority of the Bible, then I don't care what you call yourself at that point. I don't care what your church is called. I don't care what denomination credentialed you. I don't care. I don't care. You're not a Christian if you reject the lordship of Jesus. I'm not saying if you sin that that means you're not a Christian anymore. You know, listen to my previous episode if, if that's what you think. I, I'm not a perfect person. I still sin sometimes. Okay, so that doesn't mean you're no longer a Christian. But if you reject the authority of God over your life, then I don't think you can be a Christian at that point. That's when you become an apostate. When you say, I know God says this, and I know the Bible says this, but I'm just going to do what I want. Well, if that's your attitude, you are not right with God. Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is real. It's not enough just to believe he's real. As we know, it says in James, the demons know that Jesus is real. They tremble at his name, but they're not saved. They're in rebellion to God. Just because you believe Jesus is real doesn't mean that you're saved. That's not what it talks about when it talks about saving faith. It doesn't say believe that Jesus is God's son. Well, the demons know that he's God's son. They're not saved. And you're not either if that's all you believe. Romans 10, 9 does not say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior. I mean, there are some verses that say we need to accept him as Savior. But it's not enough for Jesus just to be your Savior. It says confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
that means Jesus is in charge, that he's in charge of your life, that he has the reins of your life, that you submit to him. It's great to say Jesus is my savior, but that's really not enough. Make Jesus your Lord. Make him the boss. If you're a Christian for 20 or 30 years, and then you just decide, yeah, I'm not going to let Jesus be in the driver's seat anymore. Well, did you read what we, did you listen to the lesson from last time? I mean, if you didn't, you can go back and listen. It says in Ezekiel, you can be a Christian for 20 or 30 years and walk away from God. That's called being an apostate. It means rebellion. Apostasy means rebellion. There was this church, a big like mega church in Nashville, but it went progressive a few years back. And they put out this meme on Facebook. I guess that's what you call it. They put out a, a picture on Facebook or something to say what they believe the Bible is and what they believe the Bible isn't. And this caused a real big stir a couple years ago because this was a mega, this was like a mega church. I'm not going to say the name because I'm not trying to promote them or anything. Like I'm not even going to give them airtime. But they put out this popular meme that says the Bible isn't the word of God or self-interpreting or a science book or an answer slash rule book or inerrant or infallible. That's what they're saying. They don't believe that the Bible is perfect or anything like that. They don't believe it's the word of God. Then they say the Bible is a product of community, a library of texts, multivocal, a human response to God, living and dynamic. So in other words, they don't don't really believe you have to follow the Bible because it's not the word of God. It's not perfect. It's not inerrant. It's got mistakes. This is, again, this is what they're saying. It's not what I'm saying. Well, once you start saying that, you can reject whatever you don't like in the Bible and just do do what you want. Go your own way. And that's rebellion. And that's apostasy. Apostasy means rebellion. So that's point number one today for, for you. According to my clock, I'm like half an hour into this thing. But point number one today, apostasy is rebellion. Let's go on to point number two. Point number two, apostasy starts with small things and grows into larger things. Apostasy starts with small things and grows into larger things. This is why we tell you, deal with the small sins, okay? Even the little things. Because the little things today, if you don't get them nipped in the bud, they could grow into bigger problems in your life. That's why you got to take care of them. You got to take it, when you start noticing the small things in your life, so many times I start to notice the small things. You know, that's, and again, it's, it's all it's a little bit subjective. What are the small sins and what are the big sins? You know, there could be some things that are big sins to God, but we think they're small. Sure. But I'm, here's what I'm saying. Like, if something, even if it seems like a small thing to you, you still got to try to get control of that in your life and nip it in the bud. Because if you don't, they, they could grow into bigger things. You know, may, we shouldn't tolerate any sins in our life is what I'm saying. Don't think, oh, that's just a tiny sin. So it's okay. No, I mean, deal with it. If it's a bad little habit, but, but go ahead and deal with it. If you, you know, if you have a little bit of resentment toward God, if you have a little bit of bitterness toward God, deal with it because that can grow. If you just leave it there, it can grow. If you have little problems in your marriage and you don't deal with them, they can grow into big problems after several years. You know, those things accumulate. I, when I was a youth pastor, I'd, I'd tell the teens, the small things that you tolerate in your life whenever you're 18, those are, are going to be big problems whenever you're 28. 
deal with them when they're small. It's so much easier then. Do you know any people in their 30s or their 40s who can't manage their money? You know, have you ever seen someone like that? Like, man, you're 50 years old and you can't manage your money at all. You ever see people like that? Well, that's because they didn't learn how to manage their money when they were young. You know, if when it comes to something like that, you don't just wake up one day when you're 55 years old and suddenly know how to budget. All you do is you grow older and <laughs> maybe you get a little more money and you get a lot more problems, but it starts with the little things. And if you protect yourself and nip those things in the bud in the, when they're little, then they don't grow into big things. And I say all that because th- that's where apostasy comes from. You don't just wake up one day and just suddenly take on a whole new belief system. That's not the way it works. It, it Many times it starts with accepting one wrong belief, okay? But then over time, it kind of bleeds over into where you start adopting a lot of new incorrect beliefs. For a lot of people nowadays, they walk away from their Christian background because they want to accept the modern narrative on gender identity, like these stupid ideas today that there's more than two genders or, or you know, the modern ideas about sexual orientation or, or critical race theory. You know, it starts with one of those that I guess th- those can be big things, but I'm, I'm just saying maybe it starts, starts with one of those things. Okay. When it's just one little thing, but those philosophies are not compatible with scripture. And so over time, if you accept one of those over time, their whole belief system unravels. Like if you remember, if you go back and look in the history on this podcast, I've done a few podcast episodes on critical race theory. Now, why did I go after something like that? That seems almost even irrelevant to a a Bible study podcast, but why do I go after critical race theory? Because it's a false belief system that takes root in people's minds and it leads to rejecting biblical truth. So that's why I, I wanted to address it as a as a Christian, as a minister, as a pastor. I wanted to address that. When I saw this Black Lives Matter movement coming in, I thought, why do these people have such different definitions for words than what I have? Like, I'd see they use all the same words that I use, but it seemed like they had different meanings than than how they've been historically understood. You know, words like racism. What You know, what even is that? Well, they had different definitions. So I realized they had actually an entire underlying philosophy about race that it, it wasn't just incorrect. It was actually anti-biblical. And, and then I saw many Christians out there who started adopting the vocabulary of the critical race theory people. And I was like, these Christians are getting pulled into a deception about race. And if, if they accept it, it will actually destroy their faith because apostasy starts with small things and it grows into larger things. Okay, point three today. Let's talk about the timing of the apostasy. Point number three, apostasy will explode right before the end times begin. As I said before, the seven-year tribulation, that's not going to begin until the rebellion or the falling away comes first. Uh, Pew Research, (laughs) to give some more statistics today, But in 2019, Pew Research did a study that said 65% of of Americans describe themselves as Christians, okay? In 2019, 65% of Americans would describe themselves as Christians. But whenever I hear that, I'm like, okay, 
that's that sounds like most people, but how many of them are really legitimate? Because we we heard earlier how few people who call themselves Christians even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But but here was what was interesting about that sixty five percent number. That number has been dropping like one percent each year for the past twenty years. So you know one percent might not sound like a lot, but after twenty years, that means our country is 20% less Christian than it was before. Now, that is a lot, okay? And we're seeing the consequences of that today. We're even seeing, like, major church leaders walking away from the faith. One of the singers from, what was they called, DC Talk or something like that? Kevin Max, okay? He was one of the singers of that song, Jesus Freak, that was so popular back when when I was a kid. Well, he calls himself today an ex-evangelical, okay? Not an evangelical, an ex-evangelical. And this was a guy who sang a very in a very popular Christian group with Toby Mac and Michael Tate. But now he considers himself a universalist. That's someone who believes all people are going to go to heaven. There was a popular book when I was younger called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It's by a guy named Joshua Harris. And Joshua Harris, he was trying to to revolutionize Christian dating. And this was like, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, he wrote this book about dating and and he became super popular sold like over over a million copies maybe millions of copies of that book he became a mega church pastor wrote several books that made a bunch of money and then a couple years ago announced that he was divorcing his wife that he was leaving the ministry that he no longer believed the bible was true and was not and I don't know if he even calls himself a christian anymore actually I went to his instagram today just to see what he's up to lately He's like a, a life coach now. And here's what's so fascinating about, fascinating in a bad way, but so fascinating about people who walk away from the Christian faith, like a lot of these pastors, they still want to influence a bunch of people, even though now they're not a pastor anymore. You know, it's like, so he's, he's out here, he's trying to influence a bunch of people to follow him into his apostasy, even though he's like, he's basically saying, I was wrong about everything I thought I knew for the first 40 years of my life. Follow me into this all this confusion. I have no idea what I'm doing. Follow me. And and that's what that's here's what his Instagram bio says. He says, I used to have all the answers, chapter and verse. Now I'm happily uncertain, unlearning, and letting the story unfold. <laughs> that's his bio now. Happily uncertain. Okay, it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Come and join me. You know, that I don't I don't get it with these people. They, they got all that influence, and they walk away from God, but they still want to influence people. Now they just want to influence people away from God. And that's a wolf, okay? That's a wolf in—not even in sheep's clothing anymore. That's a wolf in wolf's clothing, but, but you know, people will follow. Marty Sampson, a, a singer of the Hillsong group. And everybody knows Hillsong. All of us sing some Hillsong songs in their church, probably. Um, Marty Sampson announced a few years back that he didn't want to be Christian anymore— because he couldn't reconcile his his morals with the doctrine of hell. So he said, you know, I'm not I'm not a Christian anymore because I don't understand why why God would send people to hell. And there's lots of names we could go Ravi Zacharias, a famous um a famous uh, apologist. And then after he died, a lot of stuff came out about him that showed he really wasn't even a Christian. Sadly. Rob Bell f- used to be a famous pastor, wrote a book. Uh, again, he had a big problem with the doctrine of hell. He's apostatized now. Brian Zond. Do you, do you know any of these names? You might have books by some of them, which I would just say just get rid of them. Because those men at one time 
They made professions of faith. And yet today, they are all deceivers. They reject the authority of the Bible. They reject the lordship of Jesus. That's what it means to be an apostate. I'm really thankful to be part of the Assemblies of God. Um, That is an organization that holds ministers accountable. And I know some people, you know, they're not crazy about Pentecostals. They might not be crazy about the Assemblies of God organization. But I tell you what, that, that is a denomination, if you want to call it that, that really does have some standards that they enforce. There was an Assemblies of God pastor in Texas a couple years ago who decided to come out in support of, of gay relationships. And he said that his church, which was an Assembly of God church, he said it was now going to be a gay-affirming church. The very next day, <laughs> like he said that on a Sunday, posted it online, posted it on their Facebook page. The very next day, he was removed from his church and he was kicked out of the Assemblies of God. And, you know, I went through the process. You wouldn't believe the amount of hoops that you need to jump through to become an Assembly of God minister. You got to take all these classes. You got to, there's all these doctrines that you have to agree with. And, and this man, I don't know if he was a wolf among sheep from the beginning or if he apostatized later. You know, I can't say if he, if he, it was from the beginning, he lied on all those forms about what he said he believed. And I don't know. I don't know this guy who was down in Texas, but I'm thankful to be part of a, of a denomination that wasn't going to put up with that. Okay, I'm breaking in right here and I'm cutting this off. I might feel a little bit abruptly um, that I'm stopping it right here, but but here's what happened. I, I got through recording this episode and it ended up being so long. I thought, you know what? It's really, it's <laughs> it's overbearing how much I put into one episode. So I decided to split this up into a couple episodes. But if you're actually really engaged in this, I'm not going to make you wait a whole week for part two. I'm going to go ahead and put it out tomorrow. So a special Tuesday episode is coming tomorrow for the Cross References podcast. And so you can have it there to listen to uh, whenever you want. I mean, that's how podcasts work. You can listen to it whenever you want. But I just felt like it was probably too much content to try to make into... I didn't want to have like this giant hour and 20 minute episode. So here you go. You just got part one, which I've decided to just name right before the rapture because it was really dealing with what the world's going to be like right before the rapture happens. Uh, And I'm still going to deal with that in the part two, which I'm going to title Two-Step Apostasy. And so I never did get into the whole two-step pasta thing. That's actually going to tie in next time. So look for the new episode to kind of wrap up all the thoughts that I started here in this one. And uh, thanks for tuning in to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor, and I hope the rest of your day goes grill. (laughs) 